podcast about navigating the mind. My name is Dr. John Waddell. I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner, mental health counselor, and host of this show. The content of this show is focused on creating a better understanding about the mind and how you can achieve optimal well-being. Welcome back to Mental Maps. As always, I hope this finds you well. I'm very excited uh, for this episode as we continue our series on the root causes of mental illness. If you haven't yet, check out our Instagram at Mental Maps Podcast. We'd love to connect with you. We like to connect with the listeners, know what you want to see and what you want to hear. Uh, we're putting some content out there, really focusing on the, the brain fuel tank. We're going to reference that today, actually, as well. So if you haven't checked out that episode, I highly recommend it. But let's jump into the episode. So if you're just joining us today, we're currently working through a series about the root causes of mental illness. And that's primarily the framework that I've created that I use not only in my clinic, but also use as I teach to attempt to understand why brains get unwell and ultimately become ill. And so what we've discussed is there's five root causes. We've discussed the physiological cause, which is things that are occurring in our physical bodies that make our brains sick, whether that's viruses, whether that's illnesses in certain organs, whether that's medicines you're taking, whether that's your gut microbiome, these things are making your brain unwell. And so we know if you can correct these, more times than not, the brain becomes well too. And then we moved into the genetic factors, which is there is some type of genetic predisposition to the mental illness, and so that is triggered in a certain way. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. And so that is that cause, is that you have these genes that set in there. And so we see where medicines are very helpful for these people, where people who have these genetic factors have to be very conscious of what they're putting in their body and what they're around just to keep themselves from having these type of experiences and their brains becoming sick. Today we're moving to the third root cause, and I think this is probably the most prominent cause of mental illness and just mental unwellness altogether. And so what we're discussing today is the psychosocial causes of mental illness or how psychosocial factors create mental illness. So when you think like what is a psychosocial factor, the main thing to remember is it's anything that's occurring externally that is changing what's happening internally. So things or experiences or stressors or triggers anything that's happening outside of your body that is leading to you having this emotional reaction that is a psychosocial cause of the mental illness and so you say like well how does this make you your brain sick we if we, we got to remember if we go back to some of the things that we've discussed before as i've referenced um so i definitely got to give her credit dr amy limke who really discusses how the brain does two things all day it's constantly creating meaning and making predictions that's what it's doing. And so the human brain has evolved to respond to stressors that allows us to stay alive ultimately. When we were out in the wilderness, you heard a bear, you made that meaning of a fear, and so that fear gets you to run away. And that's what has kept us alive for this long. But these emotional reactions in our world today, we have a gamut of things that are occurring in our world leading to these emotional reactions that aren't life and death. However, our brain believes it's life and death. And when we're chronically believing that our life and death, and for some people it is life and death, that leads us to becoming mentally ill. So the brain is constantly prepared 
for the emotional reactions that we're discussing. So as we were talking about before, you have these psychosocial stressors. These things lead to a, a set of emotional reactions. This is a normal response. And the brain is prepared for that. It maintains what's called allostasis. So if we go back to our science classes, you remember homeostasis, which is mean to keep things level or keep things normal, quote unquote. Allostasis is the ability for the body to to respond and the brain to adapt, to create that calmness or create that levelness, if you will, that balance. And so the brain is prepared always to create allostasis. We see it in the human body with all the kinds of physiological reactions, with heart rate and respiration and gut health and a lot of different things in that way. But we also see it with our brain. But one of the things that we know is that these emotional reactions can be overwhelming and ultimately lead to some damage in the brain if it's experienced chronically. So when we think of the emotions that we're discussing, we're not talking depression and anxiety because those are categories and those can become illnesses. But we're talking about the experiences that set with inside that. Shame, guilt, disappointment, defeat, feeling of the unknown, hurt, shock, fear, all of these emotions that we can experience from an external stressor. If we experience this emotion or group of emotions chronically, research has shown us that this can have some pretty major impacts on our brain. We know that chronic stress not only can elevate cortisol levels, which is a hot topic and a hot thing in the world of like pop culture science, but we know that it also can create changes within your neurocircuitry that the constant experiencings of these emotions lead to damage in these areas. There's been research that's shown that not only does the neurotransmitter connections become damaged, but you also see a reduction in gray and white matter in the brain solely from chronic stress. And what that chronic stress is, is an exacerbation of human emotions. So even though stress can be very helpful, it can create change, it's something that has kept us alive for a long time and will continue to keep us alive. It allows us to make huge shifts and pivotal decision making in our life. It does all these good things for us. It also, these stressors can lead to chronic emotional experiences to make you unwell and ultimately make you sick. So when you think of it in, in this manner, it's well, how do you decide what stress is too much stress? Or what do you decide what emotion is too much emotion? And I think the first thing to remember is why are you stressed in the first place? We're all gonna experience acute stress. That's just part of life. Life can be difficult at times. We have seasons of life. And so no matter what season that you're in, you're gonna have a little bit of stress in some form or fashion, whether it's stress of trying to get to work on time or stress because you don't have enough money to pay your rent. Like those stressors exist and there is a if you want to say like a value system in the brain. However, when you feel that life and death is on the line, you're going to respond in a very exacerbated manner, even if it's just trying to get to work on time. So what are the stressors? So when we think about these stressors, it can be everything from things happening at work, happening at home, happening in your social circle circles. So I kind of categorize these things within daily life. So what's happening in your daily life that could be leading to stress? Is it issues in your work environment? Or is it just the overload of work, the amount of work? Is it issues in your home? Is it conflict with your spouse or issues with one of your kids or issues with a family member? Or maybe it's just issues overall in the home. Maybe you're having issues in your home, like the home structure itself. Or maybe it's these social relationships. Maybe you have some 
irrational or maybe dysfunctional relationships with other people. And so these social relationships lead to these emotional reactions when you're around them, but you can't be away from them. Maybe it's that neighbor. Or maybe it's the lack of social relationships. This has been something that's became a very hot topic throughout the COVID pandemic is that we've seen that isolation was one of the top factors for people to have depression and anxiety. And so if you have a, a lifestyle where you're not around people at all during the day, you're primary isolated human being, we see that you're going to continue to have these emotional reactions, but do the isolation and now you find yourself becoming mentally sick. We also know that the live stress is happening within like the social media world. So whether that's people who are generating a lot of emotional reactions to you, maybe it's the bullying that can occur throughout that experience, or maybe it's just the social life comparisons. Constantly seeing people doing something that you feel like you can't do and you maybe feel shame or guilt or disappointment in your own life. It's okay every now and then to look at that and be like, well, man, I would like to do that. I want to create some kind of change in my life. But to constantly be comparing yourself all day long, to constantly be feeling disappointed and shame within your own life has a major factor within your brain. And you're going to begin to find yourself not feeling thankful for the things you have and chronically becoming depressed from that chronic experience of the emotion. And then that emotion becomes exacerbated. We know within life stress, so we're continuing to talk about life stress. So we've talked about work, we talked about home, we talked about social relationships, we talked about the things that occur on social media. You also have like grief. So loss can occur within social stress, the absence of a human being, whether that be the ending of a relationship or the death of someone. And we know that that chronic grief can lead to the form of that illness. So that constant shock and sadness and hurt and feeling of absence. If it goes on long enough, untreated or uncoped with rather, that emotion is going to exacerbate into the illness. So we have these life stressors. And so these life stressors lead to these emotional reactions. The emotional reactions then lead to a response. But if we're chronically experiencing the emotional reactions over time, you begin to see the damage in the brain, and ultimately you now have formed a major depressive disorder, a generalized anxiety disorder, or an obsessive compulsive disorder because the illness has went on untreated for a long time. The second category within psychosocial for, that I believe exists, we have our life stressors, so this life social stressors, but the other core component, and I believe it's its own component, is the world of trauma. Now, when we think of trauma, a lot of people just think of the veterans. That's something that, you know, is very prominent. People, you know, men and women coming back from Iraq, coming back from Afghanistan, you think of the Vietnam vets, all the people that have seen just some very horrific, heavy experiences and quote unquote struggled to kind of integrate back into society because of that. But we know trauma can occur in all kinds of ways. There's a lot of great literature out there about it. We know that this is something that is very prominent in our own world in Western culture. For example, there is the study that was started in the early 1990s by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente, which was the ACES study, um, A-C-E-S, if you want to check it out. And so what they found was that in across 25 states that they evaluated, 61% of adults surveyed had some form of early childhood adverse experience, whether that was abuse, whether that was lack of resources, whether that was unsafe home environment, whether that was um, neglect, 
any kind of adverse quote-unquote experience was identified that could be traumatic. And so you may say, well, what is trauma? Like, how, how does that even impact my life? I like to say that trauma is anything you identify as traumatic. So even though you may not have been to Iraq, if you were in that, emo- that car crash and you can't stop thinking of that car crash, that's trauma. Or if you've had this really terrible experience with a loved one, whether that be violence or whether that be violence or maybe it's something to the place of um, hurt in a way that they're hurting you emotionally, physically, mentally, no matter what it is, that is trauma. And we know that trauma causes emotional responses. It does it once, it does it numerous times, and it can be long-lasting. So if I have one trauma, I can have an emotional response to that. We've all had traumatic experiences in our life in some form or fashion that we would feel was maybe an overwhelming experience. And so did we cope with it or has it continued on? Um, There is a belief that some people have a little bit more what's quote-unquote resiliency, meaning that their brain can take these experiences a little bit better than other people do. However, I think that anyone based on the heaviness of the experience can form the trauma. And it can be the smallest of things to some people or it can be the biggest of things. Ultimately, it's your own journey. And so we know that because of the experience, whether you've had the one experience, multiple experiences, or the experiences is still not stopped, it can cause this prolonged emotional response. And that is the disorder. Not all traumatic experiences create post-traumatic stress disorder, what we call PTSD. You see a lot of things about that in pop culture and social media and things like that. Just because you have trauma doesn't mean you have PTSD. And just because you had a traumatic experience doesn't mean you can't have something else. So an example of that would be, let's say, you find yourself in a car crash. And so you get in this car wreck and you've had the experience. It's something that really shook you, made you somewhat nervous. And now you're a little bit more nervous to drive. You don't have intrusive thoughts about it. You're not flashbacks about it. You're just kind of an anxious person. If we don't find a way to cope with that, you'll see this anxiety begin to spread out into other areas of your life. Now you're a little bit more anxious to go to certain places. Now you're a little bit more anxious to go to the store. Now you're a little bit more anxious to be by yourself. And now it's morphed into this generalized anxiety disorder, which is kind of spun from this one event. So we have our life stressors, and then we have the trauma. And so either way, these experiences lead to emotional reactions that can be coped with in the short term, but if not, the chronic emotional experience then leads to your brain becoming unwell. And so you may say, well, how can I do this? I'm going to experience stress, and I can guarantee you you're going to experience stress. We all experience stress every day. And so the major things you can do as a human being is prepare yourself on a daily basis for your brain to be well. So the first thing is trying your best to prevent certain major stressors. Now, there's only certain things that you can prevent and you can't prevent. We know life's going to happen no matter what you do. But creating good social relationships whether that be setting boundaries with people, maybe people who are negative in your life and saying, hey, I can't be your friend or I can't have this relationship with you. 
identifying how deep you're going to go with people is really important in preventing some of those social stressors. Create a support system, having people around you. We found not only in Western culture, but across cultures, support systems are paramount in managing life stressors. We've seen this in other countries within natural disasters where maybe we as a, you know, as Western providers have came into those areas, attempted to help, fell miserably because they already had their social supports and were utilizing them to feel better. They didn't need our version of mental health because they had awesome supports. You need to know your emotions. Know what you're feeling. If you're not feeling well, what are you going to call it? Is it shame? Is it guilt? Is it fear? Is it shock? What what are emotions are you feeling and how frequently are you feeling it and why are you feeling it? Are you feeling it because something bad just happened or are you feeling it because you're unwell? Also knowing, is this emotional reaction an illness? So have, have I became to this place where I can't get out of bed, I can't get going, I'm meeting some of that criteria of that illness, or am I just burned out? I think a lot of people in the world of life stress find themselves just ultimately burned out, quote unquote burned out, meaning that they have exacerbated or they have used all of the relation, all of the resources they have and they are exasperated, they're cashed. And so that makes you feel like you are depressed or that makes you feel like you have an anxiety disorder. And at that moment, you don't yet. And then the biggest thing outside of preventing is coping. We talked about it before on the Brain Gas Tank. You can definitely check out that podcast again. But doing something every day to fuel yourself. Doing one big thing a week to fuel yourself. Knowing when you're feeling unwell and what you need to do to feel unwell. If you're feeling really anxious, having that immediate coping skill of breathing or walking away or listening to music or getting outside and then doing the things every day so that you're entering the day with a full gas tank so that as those stressors come at you, you're working through each day and you've got the ability to manage those life stresses as they're coming at you so that those emotional reactions are dealt with and as you deal with these emotional reactions, you are able to feel better. Because ultimately, if you don't, that's where I think these mental illnesses can come from many times. So if we go back to what we were talking about at the whole beginning of, of this whole root cause concept, Stardee's study had identified that one-third of people on antidepressants find remission, meaning that two-thirds of people don't. Why do those two-thirds of people not find remission? Some of those people probably have a physiological illness, and once they get that taken care of, they're fine. Some may have some nutrition issues or they may have environmental issues. But I believe personally that a lot of those people have a chronic exacerbation of a natural human emotion. And that progressive decline in the brain hasn't got to the point where the damage is needed for the medicine. It's at a point where they need to identify coping skills. They need to get into therapy. They need to create a daily structure. They need to do these other things before it escalates. What if we begin to see people in this category on a like a linear progression of the illness from acute stress that's coped with in the moment to chronic stress that can be coped with through therapy and coping and, and doing those things to a mental illness that has progressed through the stress. Because many times, 
in the world of an illness, if you sit down, if you're experiencing it yourself, or you've got someone that's around you that's experiencing it, going back, when did this start? And some people say, well, I felt like this forever. Maybe you have, but when do you remember first feeling this emotion and what was happening in your life? And if you can start putting stressors on your life at that time, beginning to understand those stressors and coping with them is paramount. This is not only for the person who just woke up one day and began to feel really anxious because of the things happening in their life, but this is people who've experienced chronic stress for as long as they can remember. You may need a medicine. You may need a diet change. You may need to get active. You may need to get sun. You may need to get therapy. You you may need something. But the first step is to identify why you're sick. And if this is that cause, using those coping skills, getting into therapy, accessing those resources, doing those things are where you're going to feel well. Because ultimately, in these mood disorders, so moving outside of like there are other illnesses that we've talked about before, but I'm primarily discussing like anything with mood. If you're having this anxiety and this depression and these experiences, all this is is an exacerbation of a natural human emotion. And more times than not, it's a natural human emotion that has been experienced chronically at a level that is abnormal for the human brain. And the brain has got to a place where it just can't cope with it. And the cortisol levels and all the experiences that we talk about in in pop culture and social media is really just the inability to cope with the chronic experience of a heavy emotion. And that heavy emotion, along with other emotions, leads to an illness. And that illness, that illness then makes you debilitated. So I think this is where a large amount of the illness that we see, I think as we begin to see personally as a clinician, is you begin to see more things coming out on the news and on the internet and on TV about mental health and, and how my brains are unwell and kids are unwell and all these things. And it's like, why? I believe for a good amount of people, this is one of the factors, not all of them, but I believe this is one of the factors, the chronic psychosocial stressors that lead to your brain having an exacerbated human emotion that becomes what I would consider pathological, which then becomes that DSM disorder of major depression or generalized anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder. And we do know, we do know if we want to go back to an episode before, these stressors, these experiences can trigger those genetic experience, those genetic predispositions. So this life stress of chronic disappointment and defeat and guilt and shame because I feel like my life sucks because I'm not doing a lot of things that I want to be doing because social media is telling me that. If I already have a hereditary disposition to depression, I'm more likely to get depressed now. Or if I'm currently experiencing this overload in work and I'm feeling overwhelmed and I don't know what I'm going to do and I have a family history of anxiety, there's a chance I may click that on. And as we talked about in that episode before, you can make it go back off. Not every time, but you can make it go back off. And step one is controlling these psychosocial stressors, getting your brain gas tank fuel filled, managing daily emotions, getting a natural routine to fuel yourself every day. And then if that illness still sits there, 
then that's where I think medicine and things can be very helpful and ultimately can be life-changing for so many people. So I hope this makes sense. I know I presented it in, in a way that maybe was a little overwhelming, um, but just understanding that psychosocial stressors or psychosocial root cause is due to stressors creating an emotional reaction or emotional reactions that is normal, that the body and brain are ready to respond to, but when occurred chronically can lead to changes in your neurocircuitry, changes in your overall structure of the brain, which then leads to mental illnesses and ultimately can be debilitating in your own life. So if you're someone who's out there struggling and it's something that you think, you know, look at it. Put a time frame on it. If you feel unwell, reach out to a provider. Reach out to someone who is in the area. You can call the 988 number, which is a suicide hotline anywhere in the country, and reach out for that help. If you're, if you're a loved one and you're trying to help someone or you're trying to just create some understanding of why you feel the way you feel, go back and figure out when it began and what was occurring in your life. Not maybe the day of, but within a three-month period. And then begin to make these changes. Fill your gas tank every day. Fill your gas tank every week. And you will get well. So keep riding with us. Uh, this is the third of a five series. We have two more coming. And then we'll be shifting gears a little bit in the podcast. Like I said, if you if this is the first one you've listened to, I highly recommend you go back and check out the others because they're all building on themselves. And I hope that this has been very helpful in not only understanding the human brain and understanding your own brain, but also understanding why brains get sick.